Saturday, November 25th, 2017. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and this is the third of three podcasts we're going to do this week. And when you consider it Saturday, and that we're going to do three again next week, uh, that means we're going to be doing four pack podcasts over the next eight days. So if you haven't subscribed yet, shame on you. Uh, please go subscribe via iTunes. Rate it favorably. Continue to write great things about me in the comments. Five stars and great things about me. That's what we're looking for. And while you're doing that, we're going to discuss the ridiculous slash surprising slash incredible start from the Arizona Wildcats. Final four favorite, ranked second in the AP poll right now, and they just finished dead last in the battle for Atlanta. Sean Miller's team uh, fought for Atlantis and failed miserably. They didn't even come close to ever ruling Atlantis. Arizona's now uh, 0-3 in the event, 3-3 overall. They uh, went. They lost 90-84 to NC State uh, on Wednesday that's a team picked 12th in the ACC. Then they lost 66-60 to SMU. That's a team picked 4th in the AAC. And then uh, Friday night, they lost 89-64 by 25 freaking points to a Purdue team coming off losses to Tennessee and Western Kentucky. So barring stupid AP voters doing stupid things, Arizona is going to go from number two in the AP poll to unranked in the span of a week. That's a rare deal. So Norlander, I know you've been uh, out in Portland, busy in Portland, uh, with the PK-80 Phil Knight Invitational. Probably haven't actually watched much of Arizona, but just in general terms, how unbelievable have the past three days been for the preseason Pac-12 favorite? Well, uh, fairly unbelievable given how this must be unprecedented um, because, as I saw you mentioned in our Slack chat, there are just there, it's so unlikely that there's ever been a team ranked second overall, you know, a top-five team in general, um, to lose three games uh, like this and then have the prospect, the likely prospect, of falling out of the top 25. It'll be an awful look for AP voters if Arizona is still somehow ranked on Monday because it has no business be, uh, being anywhere near that poll at this point. Um, I want, When I see what's happened here, and it's Arizona starting 3-0 but doing it with home games against Northern Arizona – Maryland, Baltimore County, Cal State, Bakersfield, and then they actually go and play teams in major seven conferences, and they lose. I, I, I think it is actually fair to ask. It's not just Raleigh Alkins not playing. Like, is this whole thing with the FBI affecting this team? Is Sean Miller? I got GP. I, I feel like that's reasonable to ask because. There is too much talent there to see to 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 have such a bizarrely disappointing run in a tournament where it was expected at the worst to go two and one, and yet it goes zero and three. Can't ever remember seeing anything really ever like this. We get we get obviously top five teams that get upset in these November tournaments from time to time. None of them ever go 0-3, and now they're going to get a little bit of a relief going back home. They get Long Beach State at home, but like they, they play at UNLV on December 2nd. Now, that's that's an actual game that's legitimately in doubt. Uh, very bizarre. I have not gotten a chance to um, to read Miller's postgame comments at all, uh, so I'm, I am curious as to, you know, 
to what he said and what he's, you know, amounting all of this to, because this is really weird. And, uh, and it, it appears that everyone vastly overrated this team, which could still become good again. But what a, what a bizarre thing, man. I, I, I just, I, I don't quite get how now Purdue, I think was, is a really good team, but when you're Owen two and then you go out and you just get rolled by a Boilers Makers team who is sure desperate not to go 0-3 as well, and you've got Aiton and Trier. I mean, maybe there's issues at point guard. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know where Arizona goes from here, but it's going to take a while for them to reestablish themselves as a top 15 team, and who knows truly if they ever get back there this season. Uh, so let's talk about the overrated thing because there's a lot of that going on right now, right? Oh, Arizona, it, it's, it's, it's either one of two things. People tweeting, ah, Arizona was crazy overrated or – and I guess this is sort of under the same umbrella. AP voters, people who cover college basketball, they don't know anything. This is proof they don't know anything about the sport. Let me make this very clear. Arizona was reasonably rated coming into this season based on all of the factors you can consider to rate a team. Uh, based on what they were last year, what they returned from that team, and what they enrolled. Given the information available, it was completely reasonable to have Arizona number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. I'm not sure how many people on this planet had them outside of the top five. So it would be crazy on Monday if Arizona is ranked in the top five or the top 25. Let me go ahead and make this perfectly uh, understood. If you put Arizona on your AP ballot Sunday night slash Monday morning, you will be a victim of the poll attacks. It, it, there is no reasonable, rational way to justify that uh, putting Arizona on, on a top 25 ballot right now. But I reject um, like uh, completely the idea that, oh, this is proof people don't know what they're doing. First off, Kim Pomeroy has done a study on this and shown that the preseason AP poll is actually a pretty good indication of like what's to come. So the idea that preseason rankings mean nothing, that's just not true. Secondly, the idea that rankings mean nothing. I've heard a bunch of that over the past uh, 24 hours. Well, the see, rankings don't mean anything. Well, really? Then why you talk about them all the time? Uh, I, I update rankings every day, not because I like to, to do it or enjoy it, but because uh, people click on it every single day. You want to get a fan upset about something? Put their team lower in some what they call meaningless rankings uh, than they think they ought to be. So don't tell me that rankings don't matter. They matter to you. You're always tweeting about it. Uh, don't tell me the rankings um, don't mean anything or they're based on nothing because that's not true. Studies show they're actually a pretty good indicator at this time of the year of what's going to be uh, happening in March and, and early April. Um, the truth is this. Arizona is playing terribly relative to its talent level. They were, Arizona was ranked where it should have been ranked based on all the things I've already explained. And for whatever reason, it ain't working. And so the question becomes, what are the reasons? It's not, was, was Arizona overrated? No. Arizona could have reasonably been the number one overall team in the country uh, in the AP poll in the preseason based on what they were last year, what they returned, and what they enrolled, and the caliber of the coach. And you can bang on Sean Miller if you want to. The jokes are sometimes funny. Never made a Final Four. Lost in the Elite Eight of the Battle for Atlantis. But he is one of the uh, widely regarded as one of the best coaches in the country. That's just that's just the truth. So the question becomes like, why are they struggling? And Norlander, I'm with you. Um, it, it, I, I think at this like I don't know to what degree the FBI investigation has played a role, but it it seems foolish to not think it's played some role. If nothing else, 
a lot of these players have lost the guy who recruited them day in and day out, have lost the guy on that staff who they were closest to, and that's that's Book Richardson. Uh, Raleigh Hawkins not being around is obviously a factor as well, but he ain't LeBron James. Like, Raleigh Hawkins ain't the difference between you uh, being a top-five team in the country and you getting your brains beat in by Purdue and also losing to two unranked teams. Um, uh, you know, you look at the box scores and the advanced statistics, they're turning it over uh, more than they're taking it away giving up lots of offensive rebounds. They only took 47 shots against SMU. SMU took 70 in that same game. That's a problem. Purdue shot 57% from the field against them. That's a problem. They were only 10 of 54 from three-point range in the battle for Atlantis. That's a problem. Um, so they got a lot of stuff to fix. Now, it's fixable because when you got pros all over the court like they do, including a guy who might be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft, DeAndre Ayton, the idea that Arizona is not going to be good this year, I, I reject that. But they got a lot of stuff to fix right now. I don't think they were overrated relative to the way you rate things coming into the season. But clearly, um, it's not working right now. And they've, uh, they've got a lot of stuff to fix. And like you pointed out, non-league schedule is not easy. I mean, they, they got UNLV. They still got Texas A&M. They still got Alabama. And then on December 30th, open Pac-12 play with an Arizona State team that just beat Xavier's brains in. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting next few weeks for Arizona. And not only has Book Richardson been taken away from the team, and, and you make a very big uh, and key point there in uh, how close he was with and is with so many guys on that team. Uh, you know, Mark Phelps has, has been a, suspended as well, uh, another assistant on the team. And I, I just, I, I do wonder if, um, if what everything that's happened over the past few months just isn't ha- didn't have some sort of compound effect overall uh just a weird week i mean even like Aiton, who i i, I didn't see the games because i've been out here in portland uh but apparently looked pretty solid uh in a number of spots but he's, like he's great. he was he was going home like he was going home to play uh in the bahamas you figure the team might have you know even rallied uh and, and played well with that as backdrop but it's not um i, I will Parker Jackson Cartwright, I expect to be better than he has been overall at point guard. Um, he's going to have to improve uh, defensively. I think the backcourt's going to need to take a, a big step up as well. But yeah, man, this is just a this is a really weird thing, and then we'll see what happens. I do think, you know, let's fast forward to February. I, I do expect Arizona to get on some sort of track here to be NCAA tournament worthy. But this is an undeniable long-term blow that barring like an outstanding run in the Pac-12, I'm talking like 15, 16 wins in the conference. Uh, what happened this, these past three days here um, is going to cost Arizona probably three seed lines. Probably if you, if you had given all three of those losses to them and made them wins instead, uh, I think that will wind up, being a massive difference maker uh, come come selection Sunday, so this certainly has undeniable uh, big time effects for for March. Somebody uh, pointed out on Twitter, and I thought this was a fair point to make. Now I can refute it, but I thought it was a reasonable point to make because I had tweeted earlier today um, about, hey, like, listen, unless you were calling Arizona overrated a week ago, stop it with calling Arizona uh, overrated right now. Like, I'll respect somebody who was saying it a week ago. But if you're just now bringing it up, you're kind of lame. And somebody said, hey, didn't you and Norlander just do a whole podcast about whether about how Northwestern was overrated? And that's true, and it's also fair. But what I was saying is 
the difference here is that it's the way we interpreted the information. Like my point about Northwestern being overrated wasn't like, oh, well, we were wrong about Northwestern as much as it was, oh, wow, we really looked at the information and inter- interpreted incorrectly. Like we saw Northwestern win a game in the NCAA tournament, then play Gonzaga close. They bring everybody back and we go, ooh, uh, they're going to be good then. But they were 38 at Ken Palm last season, losing record against the top 50 of Ken Palm. They were a pretty good team. That got a lot of attention late because they had made the tournament for the first time, advanced in the tournament for the first time, and then they returned all the players from that pretty good team. And then, and I include myself in this, we decided, oh, well, they'll go from pretty good to great, or pretty good to really good, or pretty good to top 15 good. When in reality, maybe they were just pretty good. Maybe they go from 38th at Ken Palm to, to, to 27th at Ken Palm. You know, it's not like they enrolled DeAndre Ayton. With Arizona, vastly different. Arizona wasn't pretty good last year. Arizona was awesome last year. And then, yeah, they lost some pieces, but they returned three of their top four scores or three of their top five scores and then enrolled a top three recruiting class. I did the column in the summer. They were the first team in modern history to return three of the top whatever scores from like a 30-something win team. Like, I want to make sure I've got it right. How many did they win last year? Um, From a 32-win team. So this was the stat. First team in modern history to return three of their top whatever scores from a 32-win team and also roll a top three recruiting class. Like, nobody had ever done what Arizona had done in, in, in modern history. They had experience. They had elite-level talent. Um, that's, why, like, that's why this is so baffling. There is nothing in Arizona's resume or roster that suggests this was coming. But with the benefit of hindsight, you can kind of look at Northwestern and go – all right, maybe we got a little too caught up in the way that season ended and didn't actually look at what that team was last year. And so that's the difference between did we overrate Northwestern and Arizona's overrated. I think it's very reasonable to suggest we have mis- we misinterpreted, myself included, what Northwestern was heading into this season. But Arizona? No, no, no. Nobody misinterpreted anything. Uh, that team returned key, experienced, talented dudes and enrolled super talented dudes that's the type of team that's supposed to be awesome, and it's not. And though we've talked about the impact the FBI investigation could have on these players, let's not pretend it doesn't have an impact on Sean Miller. You know, sometimes coaches, uh, teams get away from them because they've lost focus for whatever reason. Um, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame heading into this season, like, took blame for the dip in Notre Dame football. He said, I, I lost focus. Like, I wasn't coaching my team the way I needed to coach my team. And I'm not saying that's the case with Sean, but is it reasonable to assume maybe he's got other things on his mind? I mean, his, his assistant for a decade is now facing federal prison, like probably singing, saying every, and, and when you decide to cooperate with the FBI, that means they ask you anything and you better tell them the truth. And if you lie even one time, they can bust you good. So maybe Sean Miller's never, ever, ever, ever done anything wrong in his whole career. But it'd make me nervous if my assistant of 10 years was, was uh, talking to the FBI and obligated to tell them everything, uh, everything I know about everything they ask. And so is it reasonable to think maybe Sean's a little distracted, thinking you know, his career could be in the balance based on what Book Richardson may or may not say? Yeah, I, th- I think that's reasonable. And you add all this stuff, the Raleigh Hawkins uh, injury, the FBI investigation, incorporating new pieces – uh, trying to play a lot with two bigs in a time when people don't usually play with two bigs. I think you add it all up, and 
and they're a mess right now. I, I think you and I agree. Uh, they'll probably get it straight, but uh, right now, just in just an absolute, absolute mess. Let me tell you about SeatGeek, which is uh, the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. That's what I've learned over the years thanks to SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience that allows you to buy and sell tickets in just two taps. That's all it takes, two taps. And what you're going to be able to do is find the best seats available, fully guaranteed, at the best prices. And the reason um, that SeatGeek is awesome among the many reasons, I should say, is that you no longer have to search one ticket site, then another, then another, to make sure you're actually getting the best seat at the best price. That's what I used to have to do. Like, okay, this seems pretty good over here at this place, but let me check over here, because maybe I can find a better deal. Now you just spent 45 minutes looking for a ticket. Who's got that kind of time? I got three kids and three jobs. I don't have that kind of time. But I, I got SeatGeeks. I don't need that kind of time. They're going to uh, search multiple ticket sites for me. They're going to compare prices for me. They're going to find the best deals for me. So I know I'm never getting ripped off. So you'll know you're never getting ripped off. I've got the app on my phone. You should get the SeatGeek app on your phone. And when you do, remember this. Whether you're buying basketball tickets, football tickets, concert tickets, anything, use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB. And you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's our gift, our SeatGeek gift to you. Promo code COLLEGEBB whenever you're buying any tickets from SeatGeek on that SeatGeek app, and you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So make sure to do that. Download the app at SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. Norlander, you're in Portland. And so I should thank you, first off, for staying up late and getting up early because you are two hours behind me. I've been up for hours. Like, I feel fresh, but I know you're going through it a little bit. Yeah, I am, but I do it for the love of the podcast, man, so all good um okay so you're at the pk80 field night invitational and the victory bracket and the motion bracket have both unfolded perfectly the victory bracket we will get north carolina against michigan state in the final the motion bracket we will get duke of florida in the final um you just general thoughts on what you've seen out there yeah great event um this it would be great to have something like this every year uh to be honest i'm i'm as big of a honk for having non-conference road games and trying to fill the sport with as many of those between top 50 programs as possible. This thing is just different. Um, and I don't know how many cities, Milwaukee is one of them, Portland obviously is one of them, that could host something like this where you have buildings. The Portland, they're literally attached to each other basically. I mean you can walk from one right to the next to the other. Um, Veterans Memorial Coliseum is where the Trailblazers played until 1995. And when you're inside of it, it's actually like it's a fine building. But like you're like, wow, like that Jordan 92 Bulls team played the NBA finals in this building. It feels like something that like should have been phased out in like the late 70s. But for the purposes of this tournament, it's great. More than enough seating. Uh, really cool vibe. And I I wonder, especially on the heels of the Florida Gonzaga game last night. I'll get to that in just a second. I wonder if you know there isn't a real uh, undercurrent of of a tug to to have discussions to continue to do this in years to come. I, it's not doable. I do not believe next season, maybe even the season after that, with big time programs, because I think a lot of those teams are already locked in to the typical um, November big time tournaments. But perhaps you know they consider uh, coming back to this in 2019, 2020, 2021. It's really, really good. It's really fun. Um, some fan bases have showed up uh, in pretty solid numbers given the holiday weekend. None bigger than Gonzaga. Um, that Gonzaga-Florida game last night was 
unbelievable. I, 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 it is, I'm not over, over saying this here. It, the environment in the building matched just about any Sweet 16 Elite Eight environment I've ever been in. And it had such a strong feeling of that because, because of the pro arena, two really, really good teams at playing at insanely high levels. Uh, Gonzaga fans, it was a quasi road game because of how loud and proud the Gonzaga fans were. Um, there were two or three instances where Gonzaga really should have either clinched the game or uh, or not given it back to the Gators. I've been pretty high on Gonzaga overall. I understand you had him higher than St. Mary's in the in the preseason poll. I did think Gonzaga was going to be better than St. Mary's just by a little bit again this season. St. Mary's actually dropped a game at Washington State. That's what, that was an ugly loss. And uh, even though Gonzaga lost here, it's showing itself to be, yet again, a really fantastic team. I think it would have won if it didn't get foul outs, unfortunate foul outs, to Killian Tilly and Josh Perkins. Both of their fifth fouls, I didn't think were the, – the whistle should have been just choked up. I think I, I was I had a little bit of an issue with that. Chris Chioza continues to step up to the moment. Kevon Allen. That's my little homie awesome. from Memphis, Chris Chioza. <laughs> Absolutely. Jonathan and, Williams. Uh, Jonathan Williams, big game also. Dude. My, also my little homie from Memphis. Absolutely. And uh, in the postgame, Florida coach Mike White said, you know, dating back to when that kid was 15 years old and I was assistant at Ole Miss, I've seen that kid play a lot. I've seen him have some great games. But what he did here was just absolutely remarkable. And he was awesome in a loss. Um, he is just a beast and has gotten better and better each year. Jalen Hudson went 8 for 12 from three-pointer, three-point line last night. And I was talking to Mark Few in the hallway afterwards. And he was like, some of those shots were just absolutely ridiculous. And the way that he sh- he shot some of them um, made it so hard to defend. So it was it was it was really incredible. I'd love to actually wa- rewatch the final like ten minutes of that second half into the first and second overtime um, because the building was so loud and it, there was such a push for Gonzaga and Florida just did not wilt at all. Mike White's an awesome coach. This team is. Damn good, man. They are to me definitively and by far. AM's been solid. This is Florida is just better than everyone else in the SEC. Um, so it's great to see them now go against a Duke team, which, and if you'll just allow me just to kind of encapsulate everything I've seen here, and then I'll toss it back to you before we wrap up. A Duke team that has won twice here. Bagley has been awesome. It's, in fact, I, both Grayson and Bagley are probably, and I know we're just like 15 days into the season, so let's not go nuts, but like, I think those two players should be on your top three, top four list for National Player of the Year consideration because of how good both have been and the numbers they've been putting up. But yet, strangely, like, Duke's defense was really iffy for a lot of that Texas game. Their three point shooting is not reliable whatsoever. They don't have a lot of shooters. Um, this zone thing is kind of working, but at the same time, they got away from it, and that's when they started coming back, when it switched to man. So Florida has played like a better team than Duke to this point in the season, and specifically here at uh, the PK-80. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how Duke comes out and then how Florida can even attempt to contain Bagley because that dude has exceeded the hype. He is He makes it look way too easy. And I will note, I was talking to Grayson Allen in the locker room uh, after the game, and he was – pushing for for Bagley to get even more touches to feed the offense through him even more just an interesting note from Grayson who got the point guard duties when Trayvon Duvall nothing was working for him and then Grayson fouled out and Duvall came in and actually handled himself pretty well 
this final two minutes of regulation and overtime. But uh, but Allen showing a, a lot of really good qualities here on the floor and in some of the things he was saying. Uh, that's a huge sign for Duke. They could have a situation easily where they have by far the best freshman and a case for the best senior in college basketball this season. Um, in regard to Michigan State, which is going to play GP, it's early. Who are they playing? Carolina. I've not even seen Carolina play yet because I've been at other games. Because you're disrespectful because, to the reigning national champions. That's what Carolina fans keep tweeting me, that I'm disrespectful of the reigning national champions. Well, no. They've been they've been good, and they pulled away late from Arkansas in a tussle. Bridges played last night, um, and Cassius Winston had the best game of his college career. At one point, he scored, I think, 14 of 16 for Michigan State. Um, did a great job shooting over ball screens. If he plays at that level, then that's when Michigan State, like Bridges is the best player, and when he's awesome, like they're really, really awesome. But if you're telling me Cassius Winston is going to start uh, hitting some long balls and, and be in that possibility to score 16 to 20 points, well, then that's another level. Just two awesome championship games on Sunday. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I want to see how Winston plays versus Barry. And, and, and really, if UNC does beat Michigan State, I think we'll start talking a little bit more about, hey, this team can actually make three straight Final Fours. Let's have serious, serious discussions with that the last thing i'll hit on here is that uh butler and ohio state are going to play and holtman was obviously butler's coach he leaves in june i think it was i think it is like the shortest amount of time ever because most coaches take jobs in late march so like he just left in june he knows those guys that he took those players to a sweet 16 last season and uh i don't want to spoil anything here but i'm working on a story in regard to this uh that will be on the site uh, probably Monday or Tuesday, uh, some uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. But this is it, it is definitely an emotional game, not just for him. Everyone on that staff was at Butler, and Terry Johnson, an Ohio State assistant, was at Butler for 13 years. You know, and if if he had his way, after Holtman took the Ohio State job, you know, he would have been the one that was tabbed to coach Butler and be the next coach at Butler. But it didn't work out that way. So they love those kids. There's definitely going to be a, a certain uh, chip on the shoulder element, I think, for the assistants, all of them, uh, who are at Butler and are thrilled to be at Ohio State now. But you know, they respect the program, and now they want to they they want to get that win desperately. And uh, it's it's just in a it happens from time to time. We usually don't get it this early after a change. And Holtman's been very public about how emotionally difficult it was for him to take this job. And I do listen. He got a lot of money to coach a, a, at a top ten job. Let's. Let's be clear on that. But I do believe in that it was really, really tough, and uh, this is not going to be fun for him whatsoever. Uh, one of the assistants, Ryan Peden, uh, was telling me last night that actually Terry Johnson said once he saw the bracket and all this, he was like, it's going to happen. It's just, it's going it, to, we're not going to be able to dodge this. So that's a fifth place game, but it is an, it is an interesting one, and, uh, and it's, it's probably going to be a kind of a hellish Saturday into Sunday for that, uh, for that staff. And for Butler staff, who, Walked out of the building with about a minute to go when Ohio State had clinched up that Stanford win, and uh, and they are are dreading it, I'm sure, in their own ways because they do not want to get beat. They had no interest in a team that has serious NCAA tournament expectations. One losing a game, but two losing a game to the staff that just left there. So I have rambled, maybe set a podcast record for talking here. Chaka Smart saw me out here and said, "Norland, I want you to talk more on the podcast." <laughs> so I said, "I will try." So that was that was for Shocker right there, but I did want to encapsulate everything because it's been an awesome tournament, and I can't wait to see what Sunday brings. I want to touch on this Holtman thing, and then let's get back to the championship games before we get out of here. Um, so I, I retweeted your, your your piece late last night about Chris because he said 
you know, this is this is a tough deal or unfortunate deal or I don't know what he said. He he just expressed his, um, yeah, this isn't this isn't ideal. And I sort of I retweeted it with the words like tough situation for Chris Holtman. You know, uh, back in June, he he was he thought he'd be coaching these kids and coaching this team, and and then Ohio State fired Thad Mata, and we we know how the rest of it unfolded. And I got a lot of like pushback on it, like, "Oh, tough deal. I feel so bad for for Chris Holtman. You know, why not feel bad for the players? Or oh, poor guy, he left on his own, and you know, he, if he didn't want to leave, he didn't have to. Like, I got you. And yeah, it's awkward for the players as well because they're playing against the coach that they. Uh, in many cases, thought they would be playing for, and the coach who recruited them, and the coach who, let's just uh, say it as simply as you can say it, the coach who left them. Nobody likes to be left, even if it's very reasonable for the person to leave you. And in this case, it was very reasonable because he got a top 15 job in America and a whole lot of money. So, like, I hear you. I I guess I would just counter with this. Uh, And I tweeted this earlier. You know, it, it's it's possible to leave somebody, like let's just say your girlfriend or your boyfriend. It's possible to leave somebody for someone or something that you perceive to be better and still think it's unfortunate when six months later you walk into a restaurant and you get seated at the table next to her because it's awkward and because deep down, yeah, you left her. Because you thought it was time to leave her, because you were presented with an opportunity that, that, that you thought was too good to pass up, but you still always kind of love her, and you didn't leave her because you were tired of her or you didn't want to be with her. Just left her because you ha- it was time to go, and I don't know why that's so difficult to understand. I know Chris did like if Chris wanted to be the head coach of Butler, he could still be the head coach of Butler. I got it, but he was presented with an unbelievable opportunity. Keep in mind, just a few years ago, this guy was like an assistant at Butler making, you know, good money, but not, not anything like this. And you get an opportunity to sign the contract he signed to go coach in the Big Ten, and not just at the Big Ten, but like at one of the best jobs in the Big Ten, where you can reasonably expect to recruit at a high level and win at a high level. Like, you, you can pass that up, but most guys wouldn't pass that up. And so he took the job, which I think basically everybody in the profession understood why he did. Um, but that doesn't mean it was easy, and it doesn't mean it's it's not um, it's not difficult to walk away from people you care about and a place you care about. So I I, I sort of roll my eyes at the people rolling their eyes at at the idea that he could be conflicted about this situation that he's going to be in on Sunday, and would rather have just avoided this situation. Yes, it is a situation that he created by leaving Butler for Ohio State, but. Um, but it doesn't make it any less difficult, and I, I hope people on some level can, can at least uh, understand that. Uh, but that's the fifth-place game, whatever. Let's talk about the uh, first-place games in both the motion bracket and the victory bracket. Norlander, North Carolina, Michigan State. We'll start with the victory bracket. Who you got winning a game? Um, give, me, give me Michigan State, I suppose, uh, with Bridges back. Um, he didn't even really do much no. against UConn. Uh, didn't need him to do that again because of, of what Catches Winston was able to do. Um, I like the size they've got there. Now, UNC's got some solid sides as well. Uh, just a terrific opportunity for both these teams and a really good situation because they're both going to be, I mean, you know, you got to figure that both these teams will, uh, even with losses eventually, like they'll be 
entrenched in that top 15 range of the polls for most of, if not the entire season. So it's a great win opportunity. If you lose, probably won't do too much to ding your resume because the, the, you know, the, the, they're not going to, you're not going to get hurt long term because we just can't see a situation where UNC takes too big of a dip. The same for Michigan State. But I'll take Sparty there. Um, and uh, would be great for the tournament if if, uh, if Bridges was able to play like a star there. Um, he's obviously coming off that that uh, bum ankle, but uh, looks to be better by the day. And now they get a day to uh, to rest and recruit. Uh, and then on the other side, give me Florida. Um, that defense is was really really good last season. Mike White says that they're still getting there. Their shooting has been outstanding. Uh, I love the overall makeup of this team, um, and it's becoming very well-rounded. Uh, White is really downplaying, uh, I think, how good they are because he doesn't want to jinx anything right now. Um, I don't think they'll be able to stop Bagley. Like I think Bagley just can roll out of bed and put up 23-12 and 12 like it's absolutely nothing and make it look beyond easy. Um, but I'll take Florida. What about you? What are your expectations for uh, for both those games? First off, I'll say Bagley, yeah, King, roll out of bed and get 23 and 12. But can he roll out of bed like you rolled out of bed and do a 35-minute podcast? Absolutely I, not. I'm and not sure about no So everybody's got their own talents, Norlander. Yours is this and his is that. Um, I'll go Michigan State and Duke to win, if only because uh, it, it, it makes me change the top 25 and 1 uh, less. Um, but I will say this. Florida looks like the better team right now, doesn't it? Like Florida looks like a better team than Duke right now. It just does. Yeah. And um, and North Carolina looks better than I thought North Carolina would look this early in the season. Like I thought they uh, might get caught at Stanford. They rolled at Stanford. I thought, ooh, Arkansas is playing well. Arkansas could get them. They handled Arkansas pretty easily. Uh, Roy's got those that team, you know, which is relying on a bunch of new guys or new guys in new roles like Luke May. I mean, my God, when did Luke May become an All-American? But he looks terrific. So um, I, I think if you were basing it on just who's playing well right now, you'd probably go North Carolina and Florida, play, who's playing better right now. But I will go Duke-Michigan State just because that's how it lines up um, uh, for the top 25 and one. Either way. Uh, what an awesome night of basketball you're going to get to experience tomorrow night. I mean, uh, th th four top 15 teams, uh, the preseason national player of the year in Miles Bridges, um, the, the probably leading candidate for national player of the year and number one pick in the draft right now, Marvin Bagley, three uh, Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame coaches, uh, the number one team in the country, the reigning national champions as Duke and North Carolina. Just um, Champions Classic still, like, hard to beat that, but this is, this is pretty damn close, and I'm with you. Uh, I know scheduling is a very difficult thing, particularly at the high major level. But if they could figure out to do something, a way to do something like this um, annually or every other year or just every once in a while, it it seems to it's and do it in Portland because that arena setup looks really really nice. Uh, the way you can go back and forth uh, from one to the other, um, if they could figure out a way to do it, um, I will uh, I'll applaud them for it because it does uh, it does seem like a, a, an event that has lived up to to its hype. Before we get out of here, I want to mention that. Uh, the coaching for literacy games in college basketball on the men's side get started uh, this afternoon on, on Saturday afternoon. It's Miami and North Florida. And for people who uh, are unfamiliar with that uh, charitable organization, it's a foundation um, that I've been involved in for the past uh, few years. And it's designed to raise awareness about and generate financial support uh, for the issue of literacy throughout the United States. A country, uh, by the way, where 64% of fourth graders are not reading at grade level. That's remarkable that that's in our country. 
64% of fourth graders are not reading at grade level. The foundation was started by uh, two kids from Memphis. It's based in Memphis, so that's my natural uh, connection, and it's really taken off over the years. They've conducted 75 Fight for Literacy games with 37 different NCAA partners, raised more than $500,000, and funded more than, than, than 50 literacy projects, supported more than 8,000 children in 20 communities across 11 uh, states. So when you see me on television or on videos wearing – uh, that green uh, lapel pin, uh, that is a coaching for literacy pin. And when you turn on this Miami-North Florida game or a whole bunch of games throughout this season, Wichita State's involved, Virginia's involved, Arizona's involved, UCLA's involved, Georgia Tech's involved, a whole bunch of schools, uh, you're going to see coaching staffs wearing green ties and green pins. And that's just to bring awareness to the issue of illiteracy uh, in, in this country. And there's some incredible corporate sponsors that are donating real money to this, and there's ways also uh, for fans to, to help uh, what is a tremendous, tremendous cause. So um, if you get a second, uh, go to coachingforliteracy.org. You can get all the information about the foundation and, and how it's raising money and, and what it's doing with that money. That's coachingforliteracy.org. Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. And remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. So please go do that. It makes a difference. We appreciate it. And I imagine we'll be back. When do you think, Norlander? Because um, I think, I fl- I think you're flying I fly, late so I Sunday. Fly home, I fly home Monday out of Portland. Um, we could either maybe do one late Sunday night. If events warrant and try and do that, but I'm not, I don't have my typical podcast gear with me. So I understand that listeners may be like, what's with Norlander's voice on this podcast episode. So we either wait until Monday night or we do on Sunday night. But if, if Sunday provides something ridiculous, let's potentially allow ourselves to have the room to do that. If you can on your end as well, I, I land back home late tomorrow, late Sunday night. So like that might actually work well if you're up for it. So listen, we'll communicate and just know this. We will either have something uh, a Sunday night, really late. It'll be there for you Monday morning. Or we'll do something uh, Monday night. Um, but either way, it'll be obviously recapping uh, the PK-80 title games and then looking ahead to the ACC Big Ten Challenge, which gets started in this next week. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Till then, take care.